eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We are squeezing every inch of life out of the season. Welcome into Finsider Radio. This is the Jake and Josh show. And Joshua House, if you weave your way behind your tree, I am sure there is one more present sitting back there that we have missed. And it was in the form of a Jason Sanders field goal as time expired for the Miami Dolphins to pull off an incredible upset in Las Vegas over the Raiders. Josh. Ryan Fitzpatrick to Mac Hollins completely changed the season for the Miami Dolphins and what we are really going to be looking forward to going into week 17 against the Bills. Yeah, I mean, it was it was like you said, the craziest weekend to be a fan of this team and just everything kind of seemed to go right. And that play, I mean, Patrick Mahomes himself, you know, the guy who's known as that <laughs> guy throwing those no look passes. I mean, he said that that was the greatest no look pass of all time. And Fitzpatrick in his press conference, you know, he admitted if he didn't get his face mask pulled, you know, that ball might not have been perfectly, you know, that thing, that thing looked like it hit something and just, you know, kind of died in the air perfectly into Mac Holland's arms. So, you know, I think that was just the perfect play. And um, I, I just can't believe that we're here, though. I mean, at some point, uh, you know, we all just sat there and said, OK, this is the same Dolphins team, you know, and they pulled this rabbit out of a hat. You know, this fits magic miracle. And uh, I'm in disbelief still. Dolphins improved to five and two on the road, ten and five overall on the year, and a simple winner get in situation uh, going into next week against the Bills, and, and we'll touch on that later. But Josh, let, let, let's start at the beginning of the game here because I mean, there's there were six or seven different things that happened, and I mean, obviously you you have to start with that Ryan Fitzpatrick 
uh, throw, but but the Dolphins got there on kind of a very strange pass uh, path throughout this game. Uh, no Devontae Parker, we, we, we quickly figured out. Um, before we forget, I do want to the Landon Roberts left the game. He left the game with an injury. That did not look good, so we're going to say they won this game for Landon Roberts. We're just going to make that the story right there. And, you know, this offense looked incredibly uncomfortable. I think we all just need to start with the Tua Tagovailoa overall 17 for 22, 94 yards through the air. Uh, the Dolphins only scored six points in that first half against the Raiders secondary. That is not too great. We saw Ryan Fitzpatrick torch them uh, late in the game. Josh, th- this offense looked very awkward, like it was trying to figure itself out. Uh, the thing that stood out to me is not only the Tua Tagovailoa throws, but then what the Dolphins tried to do on third down. Uh, there were a couple different third and twos. There was a third and short where they just got stuffed. They kept running with Salvan Ahmed, who just didn't – he didn't seem like the guy with the hot hand on the day. It clearly ended up being Miles Gaskin. But it took them about a half to figure out what this offense really needs to do to move the ball. Yeah, they did, and I think we can start there. I mean, we said that Salvan Ahmed would, might be that fantasy play, and, you know, he did get a lot of those carries early on in that first quarter, but he just was not getting it done, and you got to tip your hat to Miles Gaskin. I mean, if there was ever any question, you know, which of these running backs should stick around on the roster, I mean, it's clear as day that he's the best talent there is. I mean, 87 yards on the ground on 14 carries, and then in the passing game, he caught five of five targets for 82 yards and those two touchdowns, so um, he was definitely a difference maker. He's definitely a key, and, and uh, you know, we saw the yak that he got, and if it wasn't for that play, you know, everyone sits there and they say, you know, Fitzpatrick did this and that and yes he came in there and you know we'll talk about that because that's just a whole nother segment of this podcast that we can get into but uh you know if Tua throws that pass and Miles Gaskin gets those yak yards are we still sitting here um you know making making these same claims so it, it was a beautiful play we definitely love to see him back out there but again you're right this offense after week after week it seems like they start out very slow and again we saw it here up until honestly until you know Ryan Fitzpatrick came into the game it looked like they were sluggish for most of the day that they had those two field goals in the first half, and they were fighting for both of them. One came on another another fake by the Miami Dolphins special teams. That that was pretty impressive to see. Before the kick actually went off, you saw uh, he's just going to keep getting into the game script every week, and we don't know how to pronounce his name, or we just can't. And it's just going to torture us for all time. But but our boy Clayton, we're just going to say Clayton, uh, with a 22-yard field goal, or, excuse me, uh, run on a pump fake, Josh, it looked pretty obvious that he was going to take that ball. He was lined up right behind the center. Uh, and then there were, the Dolphins also completed, uh, converted a fourth down. It was like a fourth and two. They were trying to be aggressive and move the ball, which just seemed weird with uh, kind of how slow that offense was moving. Yeah, and that fake punt, I don't know if it was just because of the camera angle that we were getting it at or what, but, I mean, it looked like you were playing Madden, and, you know, it was a cut scene because you thought it was clear as day this was going to happen. But what was, what was most frustrating, you know, right after that was, and I tweeted about it, the next play, I believe Miles Gas got nine yards on first down. So it's second and one, and mm-hmm. the Dolphins, you know, they followed up with, I think it was a negative one-yard run, and then another negative one-yard run. So you run the ball three times, you know, after you get, what, on the other side of the 30-yard line, you know, with with a little over two minutes to go, you know, your offense struggled a little bit, but at some point, I think you just need to take the restraints off of Tua, and, um, you know, we may as well jump right into the quarterback talk, but um, we got to we gotta make sure that we, we say this. Tua himself admits that he just does not, um, you know, see some of the same things that obviously a 16-year vet sees. You know, he's not able to see those small windows yet, and he doesn't force throws, and I think, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with the coaching. I'm sure he's it's drilled into his head, you know, go out there and don't turn the football over, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, his entire career has been that guy that just goes out there and says, YOLO, I'm going to make this throw, and again, he's seeing things that Tua just doesn't, so, um, you know, we continue to hear is Ryan Fitzpatrick the best quarterback to start for the Miami Dolphins? I mean, I 
I, I don't know. Let, let me throw that question at you, Jake. Is he the best quarterback to start? Because, I mean, to me, this is a guy who helped build this offense to what it is. I mean, he's the reason Chan Gailey came out of retirement. So are we really surprised that the offense runs better under the veteran? I mean, you tell me, Jacob. Tell me what to make of the Dolphins quarterback situation because it's really all that's being talked about right now. I think you got to stare at Mike Jacecki and how much he came alive after Ryan Fitzpatrick got involved with the game. And it's important to say, too, that we were a Mac Hollins drop away from Fitzpatrick excuse me, going touchdown, touchdown, field goal. Yeah, one of those was a great play by Miles Gaskin. Then we had some great blocks by uh, uh, Mac had one, and I believe Jacecki had one. Something I would like to look up is how much Jacecki was on the field for Fitzpatrick's time compared to Tua. I, I see here that he was on the field for about 70% of plays. Obviously, I don't think we expect him to be 100%. But even when uh, Jacecki was involved, it seemed like they weren't throwing it to him nearly as far down the field. And we could argue, you know, all day, is it the playbook different? You know, and, and I'm not going to make excuses, but, I mean, he's a rookie quarterback. He didn't have any training camp. This is still, so, in some ways, his training camp. The defense is so good where you can kind of guide him out there, let him get comfortable doing a lot of different things. Hey, he had five completions, Josh, and I want to say he looked even comfortable on some of those where his ability to just kind of dodge the pressure that he knew was coming and throw it towards the receiver, and, you know, the whole the idea is over time he's going to know how to step away and push that ball closer to the receiver and turn that, you know, incompletion into an eight-yard gain, whatever it may be. He didn't get some help at times with, I think, a Matt Collins had a drop. But you're right. I think Fitzpatrick is the better guy to lead, but I think the Dolphins are going to continue to say, hey, if we can do it with Tua, if we can do it with this guy who's not going to turn the ball over, that's awesome. And we know Fitzpatrick, it's a – tightrope you're walking with him but but if you're down and you need that joel i mean brian flores has been able to really feel out football games better than any coach i've seen in some time as the leader of the miami dolphins 100 percent. and i mean let's not make no mistake about it to a should be the starting quarterback of the miami dolphins and i think you know what we're seeing throughout time like you said is he's just learning you know he's slowly starting to come along but uh, you just to touch on your point about Brian Flores, I mean, if this doesn't solidify him as the coach of the year, I don't know what does because mm-hmm. we just – I mean, I, I've never seen this in my in my lifetime as far as an NFL team and, you know, him just having that sense and just understanding, okay, well, Tua isn't going to – you know, we, we saw Tua make some, make some mistakes. You know, he took some unnecessary sacks, and I think ultimately that's what decided this whole thing because I think uh, I think we all saw it on that second down play. He tried to roll out to his left, and he ran right into the guy coming off the edge, took an unnecessary sack. You know, from there, I think they sputtered out in third down, and it was the next drive when Fitzpatrick came in. So the offense just wasn't working, but to see that Brian Flores understood that and realized, you know, you know, we keep hearing how cliche it is. The offense needed a spark, and as much as we would have liked to see Tua go out there and, you know, ultimately put this game away himself, I mean, what we saw was literally a miracle. It was Fitzmagic. It was what he was, and for Brian Flores, to make that decision with the playoffs on the line, I mean, that takes kahunas. And again, I think that we all knew that he should be in that uh, talk for coach of the year, but I think it's it needs to be screamed from every rooftop in the world because, yes, there are teams in the NFL that are better, but uh, there's not a better coach doing more with what he's given than Brian Flores, and uh, that's all I'll say about that. I'd like to get your thoughts on uh, what the Oakland Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders did, excuse me, at the end of the game. But one thing I do really want to bring up, too, like, like again, I, I think the last thing we want to, to really say here is, is any type of excuses for Tua because we both know, I mean, it's no surprise. You're, you're a big Tua guy, and we're trying to, like, there are some concerns, though, with this offense. And, and again, not making excuses, but Lynn Bowden was on the field for 92% of plays. Uh, he's the type of guy, the ceiling's there as a rookie, yes, but that Tua can have some success with. 93% of plays he's on the field. 
He had two receptions on three targets on the day. Durham Smythe, two receptions on two targets for three yards uh, per average. And Adam Shaheen, one reception for three yards. There was just something, again, it could just be Tua dunking it off and that being a huge problem in itself. But it just seems the way this offense was operating, especially in that first half, it was very, very safe. And then you top that on Salvan Ahmed, six carries for, for two yards overall. He had a long of five. So we had five negative runs on the day. Again, I'm not trying to hate on him here. I just, that offense looked very uncomfortable in the first half. And, and while some of that blame certainly goes on to Tua, there's a lot of things that I felt that whether it was a play calling, whether it's just bad routes or, or whatever it may be that weren't going right in that first half. And I think we should get into that, right? I mean, we praised Chan Gailey the other week for, you know, how well of a game he called. But uh, let's just say it. I mean, it looks like there are two different playbooks, if we're being completely honest. And, I mean, I've had people in my mentions for the last 24 hours asking, you know, is there something different? Can you please show us the film? And I haven't had the time to get down and dive in and show you the differences. But part of it is, again, uh, Fitzpatrick has a better understanding of this offense. You know, he's making those pre-snap adjustments. And again, he's he's worked with Chan Gailey before, but um, you know, I, I think that it does seem like the Dolphins are, are trying to take the ball not so much out of to his hands, but they're trying to play it safe with him, and he he's not getting some of those looks. And I just have to throw this out there. Chris Kaufman, uh, CK Parrott, great follow from three yards per carry. He broke down the splits of what Tua Tungavaloa does in the no huddle versus the empty backfield. And out of the no huddle, he was 32 of 41 for 344 yards this is throughout the season uh two sacks for native 19 yards and then he had he played 34 of 42 passes for 281 yards and a one touchdown out of an empty backfield so um what he's trying to show you is that he has had success you know with the empty backfield and the no huddle and those were the things that Chan Gilly completely you know kind of avoided when Tua Tonavolo was in the game this past weekend so you wonder why they're not utilizing Tua's strengths and doing what you know what we see the numbers are saying or, you know, he's successful. I mean, we saw it in the prior weeks. You know, when they get to that umptuple offense, Tua just looks like a completely different guy when he gets to the line, when he can read what the defense has given him and react. So um, I, I really don't think that there's two different playbooks, but I think they come in with a completely different game plan, you know, early in the game to oppose to when Fitzpatrick comes in. And, uh, yes, the score dictates that. But at some point you want to see, again, uh, Chan Gilly take the restraints off and let Tua cook. Again, as, as cliche as it sounds, as much as we've been preaching it from every rooftop, at some point you got to let him go out there and try to make plays because it did seem at times, you know, again, the, the fake punt's a prime example. You get nine yards on a run, and then you followed up with two uh, from negative one. That is the time when you should take that kill shot. And, mm -hmm. you know, Gailey didn't have that trust in Tua doing it. Would he have done that if Fitzpatrick was out there? I mean, I think they would have threw the ball with two minutes and 30-some seconds left on the other side of the 30-yard line. You know, with the game going the way it did, they didn't do that with Tua, and it, it does raise some eyebrows for sure. Uh, uh, with that Cardinals game with, with Mac Hollins, they, they they threw a that that was like a that was kind of like the same scenario, right? We we kind of freaked out about that Mac Hollins catch about how unbelievable it was. That that was about a twenty yard pass, right? Against the Cardinals. Yes, it was. So like that's kind of the the issue you're you're hoping to to you know uncover here. Let Tua make these plays. If we know he's not going to be the guy, you want to see those mistakes. But again, that that hurts your playoff chances. Josh, before we take our break here. Those last five minutes, the game, you know, I think it went from, what, tied at 16, and then it was just, like, badminton back and forth from there. Uh, Josh Jacobs could have ran into the end zone for a touchdown to give the Dolphins the ball with about a minute left, and I think a single You, you didn't have him in fantasy, right? You didn't have him in fantasy league? I did, I but I still won. It was a third-place game. It didn't matter okay, too, good. too much. Okay, good. <laughs> Devontae Adams, my boy, he, he really locked that up for me. Uh, but, but, Josh, what do you think of Gruden and his decision here? Because I really didn't hate it. 
Um, the Miles Gaskin big run really changed things. We could sit here and, and we'll talk about the secondary and, and the penalties in, in a minute. But, I mean, I, I liked the idea. You gave him 20 seconds with no timeouts to go down and kick a field goal. You needed a, a very, very uh, unaware penalty, I think that's one way to say it. Someone who just didn't know really what the situation was doing. You do not touch his helmet there. And then a wide-open Mac Hollins. I mean, it just seems like bad timing, and bad luck, whatever it may be for uh, John Gruden after making his decision there. Absolutely. And again, we talked about in the in the preview show, but the, the Raiders, you know, at one point they looked like they were a pretty good team and it's just been all downhill from there. And, you know, in hindsight, yes, I mean, we can all say Josh Jacobs should have ran that ball into the end zone and, you know, seen what happened. But um, you can't really fault him for what they did. And, and that defense, I mean, you, you got to play that ball better than that. You There's no way you can let him, you know. I mean, you can't you can't let him get behind you. And then that ball, but again, it just seemed like it fell out of the heavens, and it was like, you know, everything was going to go the Dolphins' way on that day, and that ball just fell perfectly into Matt Collins' arms, and, you know, uh, the rest was history. But you can't fault him now, but it's just, I mean, even just talking about now, I mean, those last five minutes were freaking crazy, and it just seems like, you know, in years past, we've had these crazy games. We had the Miami Miracle. You know, we can sit here and talk about every year there being this one game or these few plays that just, you know, it just highlight real. But this one, you know, the way we're looking at it, this one actually had meaning to it. You know, this could be what gets the Dolphins into the playoffs. And it's just it's just crazy that, you know, I think we all sat there on Saturday just sitting there doom and gloom at one point And uh, the Rays of Shunshine came out and, you know, everything just went our way. And it's nice for it to finally happen. I don't know about you, man, but it's just nice for it to finally happen. Something that's been sticking with me is, is Greg Rosenthal calling uh, Brian Flores the chosen one. The chosen Brian Flores or the chosen Bill Belichick. Uh, disciple who's just going to kind of restore balance to the forest, not to go full nerd on you there, but it just kind of seems what's happening here is as someone who lives in Massachusetts, I have spent years wondering how the Patriots have won some of the games they have. That's been the Miami Dolphins these last two years. When they show that they have like a equivalent talent, if it's going to be a close game, they know what to do to pull it out. I mean, it's just been pretty uh, dramatic, incredible, uh, Football to watch. It's a group that really leaves you speechless. It's a group that doesn't stop fighting. Josh, let's take a break. We'll get into defense and the third overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft after these messages. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Josh, you know, throughout just watching this game and following Twitter, there are a lot of people getting upset with, with two things. One, Eric Rowe, and two, the refs. 
One of those I certainly understand. And I have tried so hard for so long because uh, I used to be one of those guys who I'd zoom in on every play where it could have been a hold or something and say, you know, the refs really ruined this game for us, yada, yada. But those two plays against Byron Jones, uh, Nelson Aguilar basically changed this game, gave the Raiders all the life they needed to win this game. Uh, first drive down, he had a little bit of a push off on Byron Jones that probably should have been called. And he ended up getting a little separation, staying away from Bobby McCain as he ran in for about a 50-yard touchdown. And then the next drive, uh, Byron Jones is going over the top over Aguilar to try to catch a ball. Probably the same amount of contact from the previous play, if not less, and Byron Jones gets called for a penalty. Wow, that that was a lot of drama. But with those things, with Darren Waller having an incredible performance, five carries for 102 yards, mossing Eric Rowe time and time again for him. I don't really know what you can do in that situation. The Dolphins' defense, man, they, they did enough. 25 points on the road. You can't ask for much more than that and slide away with a victory against a pretty good uh, Las Vegas offense. You really can't. Let's just start with Nelson Aguilar because I live up here in central Pennsylvania and I don't know if there's that. Uh, I believe there's a video that went viral. I think it was a guy that was catching like someone that maybe threw their cats out the window or it was a, a small child. And he's like, you know, I made those catches. But uh, but if it was Nelson Aguilar out there, he would have dropped that baby or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that is what I remember him of. And he's just transformed into an entirely different player. I mean, we can sit here and we can Bad. talk about those, uh, you know, pass interference calls I mean that's complete horse crap and I think you know that's just the way the NFL's played though I mean on every single play if these refs really want to get down to it they could call a penalty here you hated it in that situation but to just see Nelson Aguilar make that type of impact you know whether or not we can admit that 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 impacted it but I mean it was just a sight to see and Darren Waller I mean even in the pregame you know I sat there and I said I don't know if this is going to impact this game but this matchup is definitely a key to watch and it almost did impact this game because Darren Waller like you said is a freaking monster and I mean he is in that same tier as the Kittles and the Kelsey I mean you need to put him in that same tier because he is I mean we saw it he's un guardable and we've seen Eric Rowe time and time again we I joke and said he was the tight end neuterer I mean we've seen him erase the the Zach Ertz's and you know uh, time and time again he, he he's matched up well with with uh, some of the elite tight ends in the league he didn't have that matchup this week against Waller and, and Waller made some of those catches like you said that just other tight ends don't make but they did enough they were scrappy as we've continued to see and um you know we can talk about the secondary X almost had a another pick and I we have to talk about Shaq Lawson being out because you know I think you you tweeted, somebody tweeted, but Shaq Lawson was definitely missing. And we also got to talk about how Andrew Van Ginkle looked because, you know, Andrew Van Ginkle early on in that game looked like the only player, to be completely honest, you know, just playing with life because he was out there. He was all over the place. And, you know, um, it's exciting to see the way Andrew Van Ginkle's developed. So that was me just spitballing, uh, try to bring it back <laughs> in, Jake, and bring it all together and make sense of it. Yeah, let's go back to that secondary. I want to ask you, um, is, it, is, is it time we talk about Byron Jones? Is it time we have a serious discussion about Byron Jones? I mean, I, 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 think, I think at some point we do, and I think i got to be the first one to admit. I, I said when we signed him, I thought he was the best talent corner-wise on the roster, and, you know, that's insulting to Xavier Howard. But I, I don't know if it's time to have that talk right now because, again, X won't be having that same success on the other side. But, again, Nelson Aguilar making plays on Byron Jones, that big money guy, it, it is time to talk about it. Uh, I mean, Xavier Howard had the interceptions – before and, and Byron Jones, you bring in this guy with, I, for the sake of the argument, let's say the same exact money as Xavier Howard, right? And, and we can sit here and, and say, yes, Xavier Howard's success. We're not going to throw out Byron Jones, so we're going to test our luck with Xavier Howard. But he, this is a guy who had seven interceptions a couple of years ago. Josh, when's the last game you really remember looking back and saying, you know, 
good thing we paid Byron Jones all this money. You know, he really had a performance because for me, I just think about the Bills game that he missed. And, you know, you're paying this guy to, I really think, maybe transform the game a little more than he has. He, I think about the Arizona game, he struggled, and I know it's kind of unfair to pick out his bad performances, but I would like to see some really good ones, too. I know he's never been an interception guy, but maybe an uh, opportunity where he just shuts down a number one receiver or, or really just has his fingerprints all over a game because this is a, a few games in the last month or so where he hasn't really been that, that top-tier guy we've really expected. You're right. Again, maybe it's just because of the money, and maybe he won't ever live up to that money to Dolphin fans. I mean, maybe this is a guy who remember when we signed Ndamukong Sue. I mean, no matter what Sue did, he was never going to live up to that contract. And, you know, he didn't make those splashy plays. You know, Byron doesn't make those interceptions. But like you said, when he wasn't in the lineup, that was when we immediately took notice. So uh, I think the way the secondary works, I think Byron is the ying to, you know, X is yang. And again, I don't think he is the NFL leader with interceptions if they're not looking over there and seeing Byron locking down his guy. But um, I don't know what it is. It has to be speed, right? Because we saw, what was it, Christian Kirk a few weeks back absolutely burn Byron, if I'm not mistaken. And then mm-hmm. um, Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, beat I mean, by a tight end, too. Okay. I mean, in the same game. He did. he did. And then Nelson Aguilar, you know, he's also a guy who is known for speed. So um, I think I think it's a little early again to, you know, just piggyback and just jump on him and say this is a terrible signing. But um, you definitely want to see more out of it. But again, I don't think it's going to show up in the number stats that we're going to see with the, the pass breakups and the interceptions. Because at the end of the day, they're looking over there and they're seeing Byron and they're, they're taking that one-on-one chance with X. And uh, that, that's a huge mistake. Yeah, I, I'm definitely not trying to say, you know, it's an awful signing and it's putting the franchise back, you know, 20 years or anything like that. And, and he's he's a great quarterback. Don't get me wrong. I, I just, you know, you're, you I think you want more. I think we can really talk about him and his maybe long term future in Miami uh, this offseason. Unless, you know, maybe with this, he's the difference against the Bills next week. I mean, not missing out on that first game. Uh, I know Igbenagy struggled as, as a rookie in his first game, and it's unfair to put him in that spot. But, hey, maybe this game can really be that uh, change of pace for Byron Jones to show, you know, don't forget about me. I, I'm one of these lockdown cornerbacks, too. All I'm saying is I'd like to see, you know, a big-time game from him. Uh, I do. Let, let's jump to that defensive line and talk about Shaq Lawson because the Dolphins got to Derek Carr on the day. They had three sacks. Uh, Jerome Baker is really starting to turn into a late late part of the season stud that's what you want to see during the playoffs Andrew Van Ginkle had two sacks but in terms of a consistent pressure really wasn't there and you really saw Emmanuel Agba uh miss Shaq Lawson there because it was the three-man rushes that really really hurt the Dolphins I believe it was a second and ten on that big Nelson Aguilar play Josh what does Shaq Lawson do not only against the pass but against the run that can really help the Dolphins maybe back off with with seven eight guys in coverage yeah I think a lot of it just Shaq Lawson is he, he's a guy I really liked in the draft process, and I think he's a bit underrated on what he does. I mean, he sets the edge well, so, I mean, he, he definitely helps in the run game. And then, you know, just what he brings off that edge, I mean, I do think you're right. It, it allows, you know, I don't know whether it's not the quarterback steps up because he senses that pressure and allows another guy to, to move up there or if he's just taking on one or two blocks. But I think he does a little bit of the, the grit work that we're missing. And, uh, again, he, he definitely just seemed like something was missing. But you don't know how much of that was game plan because, like you said, it was these three or four, you know, man pass rushes. And, and the Dolphins aren't going to get to the quarterback that often because they don't have that, you know, that – true edge speed rusher I mean we all love Emmanuel Agba and what he's done but you mentioned it a couple weeks ago I mean it's starting to seem like you know he might have I don't want to say hit his wall but we're just not seeing those same sacks that we saw earlier in the year and you know it it does show up because it allows Derek Carr to, to have enough time to make those big plays so I think we missed him I think 
what happens over these next few weeks and the Dolphins' health coming together for the postseason um, you know, could ultimately decide things. But the way the rest of this team stepped up, you mentioned Jerome Baker being a late bloomer. I've been hard on him in the past, but, I mean, we're seeing his role with this defense. And whether he's rushing off the edge, you know, whether he's in the middle there, I mean, he, he can do a little bit of everything. He's definitely an asset. And, again, Andrew Van Ginkle is just transforming into a monster. And um, congratulations to him and his wife. I think he posted a picture on social media that they were expecting a child. So a hat tip to him. And, I mean, we saw them go out there. And, you know, Clayton Fajed, Fajid, God. Clayton Fajilium, I think he just That's had a child. As well. Yeah, I think he just had a child as well. So I mean, maybe that you know he went out there and just you know balled out. So it was a group effort, and it's next man up mentality, and that's what we're going to see moving forward. But I love that little nugget, and maybe you'll talk about that in the next game, and maybe uh, uh, Byron Jones versus Stefan Diggs. I mean, we wanted to see that in that first week, and with him out of the lineup, I mean, it paid dividends. So um, I think that could be that big jump back game that we want to see from Byron Jones. And, you know, that could be the time when he really makes his mark on what he is with the Miami Dolphins. You mentioned uh, Xavier Howard almost getting his mitts on another interception that fell to the ground. He had two passes defended on the day. Uh, Landon Roberts left the game. I mentioned that they didn't uh, look too, too great. Uh, Jakeem Grant left with an ankle injury. Josh, did you hear anything else about that? Is that kind of all we know? Is it? Yeah, I think that's all we know. Probably hear something later today, but um, still a lot up in the air. Josh, uh, special teams. Uh, I think uh, bad punt return, bad poor tackling really helped uh, Las Vegas get a touchdown. I believe it was their first touchdown of the game. It was really set up by by some struggling special teams. Obviously, I'm not going to put Matt Hack or Jason Sanders, Sanders into this category. Are you any all concerned about Miami's special teams after being near the top in terms of DVOA for most of the season? No, but you'd like to see them jump back on top there. Um, I have to ask you this million-dollar question um, because, you know, you mentioned earlier – Third overall pick right now, man. I mean, we can we we mm-hmm. need to sit here. We need to list down all these scenarios because this week the Texans take on the Titans. We saw the Titans, you know, get get beat down pretty good last night to the Packers. So they're gonna want to jump back. But right now, the Houston Texans hold the number thir- three overall pick, and you know that's coming to Miami, Jake. So. Uh, again, what a weekend because to think that the Dolphins are, you know, this close to being in the playoffs and also having the third overall pick in the draft. I mean, what a world we live in. So tell us a little bit about, you know, who you might be targeting there at that third pick. You know, would it be Mika Parsons? Would it be uh, Sewell, the, the tackle from Oregon? Or would you trade back for a King's Ransom? Because, you know, a team's going to be calling for a quarterback. So Dolphins are going to have a lot of choices, Jake. But right now, you know, December 28th, what are you doing with that third overall pick? What a what, Josh! Like we haven't said it enough. I mean, I don't know how we can really put it. What a wonderful weekend! There was a point on Saturday night the Dolphins had a ninety-nine percent chance of losing. Uh, the Jets had to beat Cleveland. They did that. We saw the Titans lose. You mentioned that. Just what a great weekend! Who would have ever thought that the Dolphins last year would have a worse pick than the Texans this year? That is absolutely bananas to think about. And you know, you kind of got to look at what our. Adam Gase and, and our good pals, the Jets, are going to do at, at number two. That's pretty much locked in. Um, I do think the Titans are going to come out and, and try to get that win against the Texans. It certainly seems like a must win in terms of seeding. Um, I King's Ransom sounds pretty nice. Another King's Ransom? I mean, that sounds great. But, I mean, if you can get that, what what Mike Tomlin say about Chase Young, uh, I'd never want to be bad enough to get a player as good as you. I mean, the Dolphins are, are a playoff team who are bad enough to get a player just as good as a Chase Young. That It's crazy to think about. I, I have no idea which way I'd go. I think you have to look at what the Jets do. If they take a lineman, can you get a boatload for Justin Fields? Are the Dolphins spicy enough to look at themselves and say, do we want Justin Fields? 
Um, is there that generational defensive end, that linebacker, that receiver? Because I guess that's the question you're going to ask yourself. Um, I mean, I just hope it's not a the curse to Deion Jordan and the third overall pick. Okay. Well, why'd you have to say that? <laughs> why'd you have to say that? I mean, I mean, for me, and you know, again, it's this, it's December 28th, and I was a big Mika Parsons guy. I think what he can do in this defense, you know, could revolutionize things. But having, and we're gonna, I'm gonna butcher all these names, but Soul, uh, the Oregon, the Oregon tackle. I mean, this is a once in a generation talent, and I think you know, just to think that the Dolphins could have traded away Laramie Tunsil and they got what Austin Jackson now getting Soul. I mean, that's that is quite the hall, but you're right. I think a team's going to be calling for a quarterback and whether it's Justin Fields, whether it's Zach Wilson, I mean, this is what the Dolphins have set themselves up to do. And I mean, I think we're going to see the same New England thing where maybe they trade down and they acquire more picks and every year they just have this extra first, you know, they just keep trading down. I I don't know, man, but it's just crazy to think. And now that we're here, let's talk about the playoff scenarios because the Dolphins, you know, they jumped up to the fifth seed this week, which they were at the seven. They were dangling on by a string, but they have a couple scenarios in which they can make the playoffs. And obviously the first one is they can beat the Buffalo Bills, which I mean, I don't know about you, man, but I would love to see them go up there and knock the Bills teeth in. And then we got the Browns. They need to lose to the Steelers. Uh, the Ravens could lose to the Bengals or the Colts, to the Jags. So the Dolphins need one of those three teams, either the Cleveland Browns, Baltimore Ravens, or Indianapolis Colts to lose, and they will be in or just take care of business versus the Bills. So uh, that's a lot to digest, Jake. What are your thoughts? And, you know, tell, tell our listeners, are the Dolphins making the playoffs? Josh, I have a two-day work week, and I am so excited to, you know, maybe maybe we'll go a little long. Maybe I'll pull you in for a second night. Uh, just to talk, I mean, this has been such a blast of a season. I mean, the Dolphins went from having one of the easiest remaining schedules to one of the hardest to all the doubts. You need to beat the New England Patriots in December. You need to beat Oakland. You need to beat Oakland in Las Vegas. And here you are. You have a shot to face the Buffalo Bills, control your own destiny. It reminds me of 2016, the JHI year. Uh, you wonder if maybe Miles Gaskin is going to be our, our JHI for this year to get us into the playoffs. And our defense is 10 times better than they were in that 2016 season. So be ready if they do make the playoffs. I believe our boy Steve Kornacki is giving them like an 88% chance of making it right now with all those situations you, you gave us. Josh... Watch out, because I can spend a whole week telling you how they're going to win a playoff game. Uh, I, I'm very I mean, grateful for this opportunity. Uh, I was dreading this week, again, for most of that fourth quarter. Uh, I thought the Dolphins were just going to be that fun story in a year away, but you got to like the situation they're in. you got to like how Tua is responding when Fitzpatrick comes in. Uh, they're 6-2 and two when he starts. You saw what Brian Flores was trying to do when uh, he took – Tua out against Denver, and it almost worked. The interception in the end zone. And then, hey, there, there was the game, like New England, like Arizona, where for a strong understanding of the situation to keep the right guy in to uh, kick it off. So, I mean, Josh, this has been a blast of a season. And the fact that, you know, Buffalo, big game, division rival, uh, a win would be incredible. To But to have those second options, especially looking at those Cleveland Browns against the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, what an awesome season. And it looks like... Uh, not trying to jinx anything, but we'll, we'll be able to cover a couple extra games this year. I, I really hope so. And again, it's just crazy to think because, again, this is we talked about it probably in every podcast. You know, this is a year before, you know, this rebuild was truly coming to fruition. I mean, this is a year earlier than we all expect. And the Dolphins are going out there. You mentioned our good our good guy, Steve Kornacki or whatever the hell his name is. You know, he does the numbers and he's giving the Dolphins a good chance. So I think we're going to see a playoff game. I think it's going to be exciting to see the way. And I don't want to call it a two quarterback system. And in fact, um, 
our head coach, Brian Flores, and I have to throw this out there real quick because he was asked um, you know, about whether or not he views what the Dolphins have as a two-quarterback system. He said, I don't want to put any labels on. The label is we're going to do what we're going to do to win. I owe that to the Dolphin fans, Love to the it. players in the locker room, the people in this organization. So that's what we're going to always do. So two-person, three-person quarterback, five-person quarterback, whatever we need to do to try to win, that's what we're going to do. So, um, I mean, that says it right there. I mean, and again, I- I'm a two a stand. I mean, I've been labeled that. I- I'm never going to break that, but um, – you got to tip your hat to what Brian Flores did to have the to the balls, you know, to make that move and for it to pay off in the way it did. And um, real quick before we jump off, man, Jakeem Grant, uh, per source, and I guess this came from Ian Rappaport, Jakeem Grant is out Sunday with a high ankle sprain. Um, it is noted that he has a chance to play in the playoffs if the Dolphins do make it. So, uh, again, another blow to the receiving core, and I guess that means uh, we hope Devontae Parker is ready to go because, again, this is a, a big matchup against the Bills. But to just be here – to, to talk about the third overall pick, to be able to talk about the playoffs <laughs> and these must-win games in December. Like, God, man. Uh, what a thank combo. Thank you, Chris Greer, man. Thank you, Bill O'Brien. Thank you, Brian Flores. Thank you, guys, because, I mean... Thank you, Adam Gates. We yeah, got to say it. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Adam Gates. I mean, this has just been a uh, wonderful year in such a, you know, for everything that's been so bad in 2020, just what this Dolphins team has done, uh, you know, has made brought hope to a lot of people and it's exciting to see the way this franchise ultimately goes. I'm not going to get too much into it. We'll wrap up here, but with Jakeem Grant being out, we better not see another two reception performance from Lynn Bowden. I think he's really got to be a guy, got to get the tight ends involved. But Josh, we'll get into the more of that as we start to preview the final game of the 2020 season, a very remarkable 2020 season for the Miami Dolphins. It will technically be the 2021 season at that point. But Josh, it's been a blast. I've had so much fun talking with you about this stuff. And if you're enjoying what you're listening to, smash that subscribe button. If you like it us enough, leave a review. That stuff, we read it all. It helps us out quite a Follow bit. Follow Jake on Twitter at J-M-E-N-D-E-L-94. I am at Houts. Uh, thanks, guys, as always, for listening. We hope you had a very Merry Christmas. And Jake, let's give it to him, man. Fins up, baby. Let Tua cook. And we got a huge game this week up there in Orchard Park. Go Dolphins. Beat the Bills. Josh, I forgot to mention it. The, the streak's alive. The streak's alive. Oh, yeah, the alive. streak is alive. Playing Fajilium <laughs> again. Fumble at the end of the game. And the Dolphins, that's 21 games. What with the turnover? What a, 21 see, games. It's a gift that just keeps on giving. Thank you, John Gruden. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Fins up. Maybe we'll see Tua cook. Maybe we'll get fast food with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't know, man, but it looks like we're going to the playoffs. Uh, talk to you on Thursday. Playoffs. Fins up, baby. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins.